Once upon a time, two friends began sharing their dreams, literally. We wrote them down in the wee hours and unpacked them with each other via text upon waking, finding inspiration in their symbolism. Our dreams taught us that divine fingerprints are everywhere and can illuminate a path to Jesus Christ. I am Sarah. And I am Megan. And this is Dreamsicle. Join us as we learn to pay attention and find revelation for our lives hiding in plain sight. Today we're talking about patterns and the patterns that God uses and how we can recognize them. We know that God uses patterns our heavenly parents have from the beginning. From the creation of the earth, all things are created spiritually first, then physically. And even way back in the Old Testament, the Lord commanded Israel to build a tabernacle according to the pattern shown to Moses. And David gave Solomon the pattern for building the temple. In Doctrine and Covenants 52.14, it says, And again, I will give unto you a pattern in all things, that ye may not be deceived. So we know that God gives us patterns to guide us and protect us and help us avoid deception. Beginning in the Restoration, Joseph Smith created the Relief Society after the pattern of the priesthood. And when we operate according to these patterns that are divine in origin, we're working most effectively. Last spring, Jean Bingham gave a talk in April Conference where she talked about the divine pattern of unity among men and women. She said that when we become more in tune with this divine pattern of working together in unity, then we can achieve our potential as humans, as God's children, as as the human family. So this can include counseling together. We see it in the true order of prayer. And it's what is referenced in the scriptures when it talks about our hearts being knit together in unity and love. President Nelson has also talked about this idea of patterns, but he used the phrase divine law. He has told a story about when he was training medical students in how to stop the human heart from beating temporarily so that they could do surgery on it. He said, I learned that the beating heart could safely be stopped temporarily by changing the sodium-potassium ratio in the blood supplied to the heart. Later, when the heart was nourished by blood with a normal sodium-potassium ratio, the heart would again beat normally. These findings proved to be predictable, dependable, and repeatable. And then he says that when he was teaching this to people, somebody asked, but what if it doesn't work? And he replied, it always works. It works according to divine law. Divine law is incontrovertible and irrefutable. Divine law cannot be denied or disputed. And when God's laws are obeyed, relevant blessings always result. What I take from that is this concept that when it's divine law or divine in origin or following a pattern that our heavenly parents have established, we're never going to be taken by surprise. We can always trust in them. We always will know what the outcome will be. I love that we know our heavenly parents operate under divine law. So their patterns with their interactions with their children are going to be predictable. I remember as a missionary teaching, it was in the first discussion. So it was something we taught again and again that our heavenly parents love their children. And because of that love, they send prophets to teach what they would have us know. 
And so we know just from like the first couple of lines that a, a missionary teaches to someone on the street that our heavenly parents love us and that they want to communicate with us. And that's a pattern. And it's something that has been established since the beginning of time and that we enjoy not only through our prophets, but through the Holy Ghost and through our personal relationship with God. There's a line in one of my favorite hymns, Abide With Me, that says, When other helpers fail and comforts flee, O thou who changest not, abide with me. It's like the unchanging, eternal, omniscient, ever-present nature of our Heavenly Parents and, and our Savior. They will always be there. They will not alter who they are. It seems like the thing we learn from the scriptures is that revelation is the pattern. It's not a matter of if God will speak to us. It's the fact that God is speaking to us. Um, We know that God wants to communicate with us and that our heavenly parents will. But the way that that happens might be completely unique to us as their individual children. Our heavenly parents will communicate with us in a way that speaks to us. And so if we feel like we're not receiving communication from our heavenly parents, I feel like it's really important to stay open and aware of and maybe even willing to believe more than we ever have. I know for me personally, when I kind of opened my definition of what I considered spiritual communication, I started to see a lot more of it. And I discovered the patterns that existed between me and God in ways that I never had before. God will speak to us in all the ways that we're willing to hear them. Sometimes there are things that we might just consider like a crazy coincidence or like, oh, what a small world. And I feel like if we're open or willing to attribute those things to God, then we'll see that our heavenly parents' manifestations of their love for us are everywhere. We can count on the Spirit to confirm in those moments that that's what is happening, that it's a way that we are connecting with heaven. But I feel like if we have a preconceived notion of how God is going to communicate with us, and it's only through like a very specific feeling, then we're going to miss a lot. Yeah, or a very specific place. Like if you're only sitting in the chapel during sacrament meeting or in the temple, that's not the only time or place that you can receive revelation. Yeah, exactly. And yet, we still have these patterns like the quote-unquote Sunday school answers mm-hmm. of how we receive it. And it's it's like we're not discounting that. That is, that is the pattern. Like we pray, we fast, we study the scriptures, we worship, we take the sacrament. All of these, they are the pattern, but it's like within that established pattern our heavenly parents can be really expansive in how they speak to us, and it can be really individualized. I mean, it can be a completely specific, personal message for you in a way that you recognize it. Yeah, so sometimes I think we think of revelation existing as like a formula. Like, 
okay, if I do this and this and this, then this will happen. I mean, that's just human nature. We, we like the predictability of something like that. But I listened to a training by Elder Bednar recently where he really challenged us to step outside of this formulaic thinking, not stepping out, outside of the pattern, but just outside of this A plus B equals C kind of thing. I mean, it almost sounds like an ATM, like transactional right. thing. Like I say my prayer, you instantly tell me what I need to do. Right. <laughs> it always work that way. <laughs> or you immediately fix my life, actually. <laughs> fix it. Take away all of my burdens. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's not a transaction. It's not a, like a, a formula. It's a pattern. And I think that the pattern is an attitude of humility and seeking and openness. And then we can recognize like the specific ways that God will speak to us. That will happen as we are willing to make connections, to really pay attention and notice the patterns and not be dismissive of them. And this will also take using our spiritual eyes and ears and not being skeptical of the things around us that are happening. We can choose to notice and see the patterns where they exist. It's kind of recognizing and really believing the promise of the covenants that we make, that if we are doing our best to keep our covenants, then the other side of that is that we will always have the Spirit to be with us. So Elder Bednar described this as living within like the flow of revelation. It's being open. It's trusting that our path is guided in a way that doesn't disrupt our agency or our faith, but it always lovingly points us to Jesus, and He is our assurance that everything will work out. That's the undercurrent. That's the pattern. Can we receive specific answers? Yes. But the steady flow that we can tap into at any time, that is one of love, and it will always point us to Jesus. For me personally, I started to receive a lot of revelation and see these patterns of revelation in my dreams. And when I compared like the type of dream that I was having night after night all of the time and kind of holding them up against real life, it was really instructive. And so I started not only like writing down and paying attention to individual dreams, but also noticing the pattern and the trajectory of where these dreams were going. So I'm just going to tell you some of the recurring themes of my dreams. They are wild. Just buckle up. So water is everywhere in my dreams. I'm in water, swimming in water, sinking in water. I'm pulling other people out of water. I also have a lot of dreams about driving out of control cars, <laughs> like the one where the brakes and the gas pedals didn't work and I was stuck in reverse at a high speed. Yet I had my mirrors and my steering wheel and I never hit anything and I was in a parking garage. So that was one I have had dreams where I'm driving over bridges that are falling out from beneath my car or on steep ledges that I'm afraid that we're going to drive off of. So many out of control cars. And then there is the beautiful phenomenon of my dreams about cars sinking in water, which I've had so many. It's a combination, a marriage of themes. <laughs> Truly. Where 
cars are sinking in water and I can see people in cars and I'm struggling to help them or worrying about them. So these are recurring themes. I also have many dreams about bears (laughs) and active shooters, which is like not at all disturbing. (laughs) Good times in my brain when I'm asleep. But as I thought about these really kind of terrifying dreams, it's like mortal dangers everywhere. And I'm having different scenarios, but the same type of situation happen night after night in my dreams. This is what I took from it. It was like so symbolic of my life and especially my spiritual life. And in so many ways, I felt like these mortal dangers were going to end me. A bear, a shooter, a car accident, drowning. And yet, in every single dream, I inevitably emerge like victorious every time. I always come out on top. One of the things that the Spirit has taught me as I've pondered the patterns of my dreams is that I can have discernment in how I view the world around me, in how I view my life and what's happening in it. Like I can have clarity to see what is real and what is true and how I can help myself and help the people that I care about. And discernment is one of these things that is a spiritual gift, but it's not like it's not like it's just for prophets. We can all aspire to that spiritual gift and ask for it and work to attain it. As I kind of like put all of these, you know, bear, car, water, and active shooter dreams like side by side in my mind and and kind of compare them over time, I could see that the dreams kind of reflected the sense of my own transformation. Like before I was discerning in the way that I looked at my life, I felt like life was just happening to me, kind of like out of control. And I just had to, like, I was just at the mercy of everything that was happening around me. Powerless. I felt powerless. But when I examined all of these dreams and noted the pattern in them, I saw that in every single one, I was responding with strength and like a true dexterity to really difficult situations. And I always was successful. And I believe that my heavenly parents gave me these dreams to teach me that, to, sh- to give me confidence in the different situations of my life, to show me like, you are in control. You aren't powerless. You can see things as they actually are. You can protect yourself. I'm just going to share a couple of like quick examples from these dreams that kind of illustrate that. So one was an active shooter dream. I was in a mall of some sort and I had just come down an escalator and I I didn't see him, but I knew there was this shooter approaching and I looked around and I found like a little closet or a supply cupboard. And I realized there was nobody else in this area that I was in. It was kind of like this side entryway. And I stepped into this like little cubby and closed the door. And I, I knew that I was safe. It was like, I was aware of what was happening outside, but I also had the ability to protect myself. 
Okay, so there was that dream. I also had a dream that I was at a pool with a bunch <laughs> of family and I was holding somebody's baby. It was not my baby. And there was a bear at the pool that was only coming after me. That Like everyone else around me was safe from this bear. It was not approaching then. The bear was only coming after me and I was obviously concerned about myself, but mostly about this little baby in my arms. And as I, I kind of like assessed the situation and I saw that behind me, there were these doors for some kind of like a shed. And if I opened the doors just so I could create this little space where the baby and I were totally enclosed and I could hold them shut and the bear couldn't get to me. It's like, I mean, I never would have made this up. It's like such a strange <laughs> dream. And yet when I woke up, all of these dreams, when I wake up from them, it's not the fear that stays with me. It's not like the adrenaline. It's this sense of like victory, of safety, and the fact that I can do that for myself because Jesus is on my side and God is letting me know that. I feel like mine are more like themes with a symbol that is recurring. One of the things that shows up in my dreams a lot is bread. And <laughs> <laughs> while I do love carbs, they have been just really symbolic to me of God's love for me and for the rest of their children. And so I think I'll just tell I'll tell one of my bread dreams a few months into the pandemic. I had a dream. I was walking along the side of a freeway and it was like a mountain pass. Like I can picture exactly, I've driven this place before where <laughs> there's like a road and it's cutting through a canyon and then above it, higher on the mountain is a railroad track. So as I'm walking along the side of this major highway, there is like this huge car accident and I'm not hurt or anything. I just witnessed it from the side of the road. Within just a minute, a train, a high-speed train, comes along the railroad track and derails, and it starts rolling down the mountain and rolls directly into this massive multi-car car accident that has happened, which we could very easily say is representative of 2020, the year that, <laughs> <laughs> that has just been kind of a train wreck on top of a massive multi-car accident. So my dream kind of flashed forward. I'm walking still along the same highway, but I'm walking towards like all of the backed up vehicles that are stuck in traffic. And it's apparent that they've been there just waiting for quite a long time. And it's it looks to be backed up just for miles and miles. And as I'm walking, I spot this bakery delivery truck and I just instinctively go up to the driver and I can see that behind him, it's floor to ceiling stacked with individually wrapped baked goods. So I asked the driver, I said, would you mind if I took some of these and handed them out to the drivers that are stranded? And he said, that's what I'm here for. And so <laughs> I had some like teenage boys with me and they we all like loaded up our arms with 
these baked goods and distributed them among all these stranded people. So as I thought about that dream, I felt like the bread or the different baked goods were representative of God's love for us. And it's what we offer as we minister to others. And obviously symbolic of Jesus, who's the bread of life. And I think for me, it was also kind of symbolic of part of my personal mission, just in ministering to others, in helping other people feel God's love, and hopefully like distributing that among some of their other children. So I had another dream a few months after that, where my friend and I were driving, and she drove me to this store that she said had the very best bakery. And I was super jazzed to go in this great bakery. But as we got out of the car, I realized I didn't have my shoes. I didn't have any shoes on. So she was like, oh, it's okay. I'll just run in and grab some things. And she came back out with a grocery cart filled to the brim with like all of the things, like beautiful loaves of bread and bagels and croissants and all of the best carbs. And I was helping her put the bread from the cart into the back of the car. And as we got to the bottom of the cart, there were my shoes. (laughs) Even though this is a totally different dream, as I reflected on like that pattern of what the bread represented, it seemed to me that, I mean, the bread, the bread is Jesus. And so as I bring Jesus into my life, as I invite him into my life and prioritize him, then not only will every needful thing be provided for me, but I can also feel like, you know, I have I have my shoes on my feet and I can move forward and he will provide the means to walk safely and illuminate the path for me. Part of the process of getting more revelation is starting to just accept what is being given to us, recognizing it as revelation and not being like flippant about it, not dismissing it, but appreciating it for what it is. And then I think that that's a signal to heaven that we're ready for more, that we want more. And then we can use those experiences to kind of like guide us and help us on this path as we are trying to navigate our lives and trying to see it with more light. Elder Neil L. Anderson said, when personal difficulty, doubt, or discouragement darken our path, or when world conditions beyond our control lead us to wonder about the future, the spiritually defining memories from our book of life are like luminous stones that help brighten the road ahead, assuring us that God knows us, loves us, and has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to help us return home. That reference to these luminous stones is is what he kind of calls the spiritually defining moments of our lives. It reminded me again of the brother of Jared's story where they literally used stones lighted by the finger of the Lord in order to navigate an ocean and travel to a new life on a new continent. And I had I had an experience once in the temple which felt this way to me. It felt like I was being handed a lighted stone that was saying, this will give you enough light until you get to the next step or to help you to the next step. So I was at a point with my son, Jack, when he was younger, that things were just so difficult. 
like I, I couldn't see a way out of it. I did not know how we would go on and how I could maintain this year after year. I didn't even know how I could like get through the, that week, frankly. It was just so hard. So I had gone to the temple. I was feeling really like humbled and open and just ready for any help. Like I, I will believe anything <laughs> you want to tell me because I know you can help me. So that's kind of where my attitude was. And as I was sitting in the endowment session, it was like, I had never experienced anything like that. It was, it just felt like, usually when I would go to the temple, I would maybe get like one insight, you know, the whole time I was there, like one little nugget of truth. And even if it was like a hard little tiny nugget, like I really held on to that because I mean, it was some insight that I needed. But this time it was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It felt like, revelation was just flowing all around me, almost like little laser beams. Like I, I pictured like a Star Wars, like escape scene where they're like trying to get on their ship and leave and, and there's stormtroopers and they have their blasters and they're shooting laser beams everywhere. And it felt to me, I mean, obviously nobody was shooting anything, <laughs> in the temple, but it felt to me, like I was suddenly noticing the lasers of light that were all around me. And it wasn't, they were always there. I was just suddenly aware of it at that moment. This was actually the same temple outing where once I got to the celestial room and I was sitting and kind of pondering all of these challenges with my son, that it was like my spiritual eyes were opened in a way that had never happened to me before. And I saw him, like I saw Jack and he was older than he was. I think he was like maybe 10 when I, in real life, when I went to the temple, but he looked like he was maybe about early twenties and he was not disabled. He looked like himself, but he was making eye contact with me and he was really tall and I felt so much love from him. And it really, it was probably like a second and a half, this like awareness I had with my spiritual eyes, this vision of, of Jack, of like who he really is. And it was, it was so powerful that like the only way I can describe it is it felt like I had tumbled over a waterfall <laughs> and I was soaking wet. And it was that like profound. I was like, drenched in the spirit is what it felt like. And it it was like all of my heartache kind of just got washed away at that moment because I felt great hope. I, I knew that Jack was not only okay, Jack's amazing. He's so valiant and I we were gonna be all right. We were going to be okay. Elder Paul E. Kolliker said, Patterns are templates, guides, repeating steps, or paths one follows to stay aligned with God's purpose. If followed, they will keep us humble, awake, and able to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit from those voices that distract us and lead us away. Part of the pattern of receiving revelation is reflection. 
one of the things I learned just recently was that Joseph F. Smith received the 138th section of the Doctrine and Covenants while he was deeply grieved and spent significant time alone. It was actually in the middle of the last major pandemic in 1918. There was a world war coming to an end. Um, The pandemic was causing a lot of devastation and death around the world. And his own son died of appendicitis. So in all of this grief and pain, he isolated himself and became really ill. And he used this time to seriously reflect. And it became a revelatory period in his life where we have this incredible revelation of the spirit world. It stood out to me because we're going through our own pandemic now. And it just made me think about these dark periods in the world and how they can lead us to light. And it wasn't just the darkness or the grief or a sadness that overcame him that led to increased light, but it was the time that he took within that period to be reflective and thoughtful and ponder. I, it made me consider what our personal responses are to these wildernesses that we face in our lives. He said, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures As I pondered over these things which are written, the eyes of my understanding were opened. So he used that that period of time where he was unwell and he was deeply grieved to ponder and reflect and his eyes of his understanding were opened. He was following the pattern to access revelation and it's like God was waiting for that in order to fulfill the pattern of bestowing revelation. Another really good example from the scriptures of kind of following this pattern to access like the will of the Lord is Nephi. So after Lehi receives the vision of the tree of life and and tells his family about this revelation, there's such a different response between Nephi and his older brothers. You know, whereas Laman and Lemuel were like debating the revelation, questioning it and kind of picking it apart, Nephi went into the tent and seriously considered it, seriously pondered it. You could call it um, serious reflection that preceded his own revelation. Maureen Jensen Proctor, in an address published in the book At the Pulpit, said, Nephi's pondering opened the door to an expansive revelation that has blessed us all. Serious reflection was Nephi's way of being, for he tells us later, my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. So it's like, again, we're we're getting this pattern established in the scriptures of how this prophet knew what God wanted for him. Yeah, Nephi is such a good example of kind of taking these really impossible situations and approaching them with this like just deep focused reflection. Like he believes he can find an answer and then he does through all his pondering and praying. Uh, Maureen Proctor also said, what is serious reflection? It is focused and concentrated thought like sunlight through a magnifying glass that will burn a hole in paper. 
it is not superficial. It kind of comes back to this idea of being intentional about signaling to God that we want more, that we want to understand His will. And that is His pattern, is for us to ask, and then we will receive, to seek, and then we will find. It's like when we knock, the Savior will open the door and reveal to us whatever it is that we want. But we have to take those steps to show Him that we're ready. Joseph Smith practiced reflection, and it is what led to him receiving the first vision of the Father and the Son. He said his mind was called up to serious reflection, and later in his life he said, deep water is what I am wont to swim in. And he also said, the things of God are of deep import. It's like it invites sitting in it and meditating with it, pondering it, really mulling it over. Yes. I like the imagery of both the water being deep and the things of God being of deep import. And we have to be willing to to sit with it, to have those periods of serious reflection. That's what led to the first vision. Maureen Proctor said, we must decide if we will travel this mortal journey tangled in distractions or find time on a daily basis for this serious reflection and pondering that leads to revelation, whether we will travel in dark barges or have them lit by stones touched by the finger of God. That's such a good reference to the story of the brother of Jared in the scriptures, which really kind of is an embodiment of this idea of really serious really seriously reflecting on the will of the Lord. And he didn't know what he was going to do. The brother of Jared had this problem. He needed a way to light the barges. He needed to light the boats so that they weren't in darkness as they crossed the ocean to a new continent. And he didn't know where to go with that. And so he he pondered, he reflected, he prayed and was inspired. So he formed 16 stones from molten rock and presented them to the Lord and asked like with this great humility, like, please do not strike down your humble servant with this (laughs) very human inadequate idea, but I know you could light the stones if you wanted to. And because of his great faith, he actually sees the finger of the Lord who touches the stones and illuminates them and provides the literal light for them to cross this ocean so they're not in darkness. It's it's just a really good example from the scriptures, which there's so many. They're replete with these stories, which are a pattern for how we can reach out and how Jesus Christ will reach back. This is one of those instances where we can generalize the scriptures or liken them to ourselves, we can follow the pattern of the brother of Jared by asking the Lord and allowing him to illuminate the stones that will light our path. Hydrate, get some sleep, take care of yourself and dream deeply.
You can find notes from today's show on our website, dreamsiclepodcast.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at dreamsicle.podcast. Click subscribe wherever you listen to make sure you never miss an episode.